The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning, church family. Good to see you. Happy New Year to you. I was not here last week, so it's so good to to be back. I was actually out on vacation last week. So shortly after Christmas, my wife and daughter and I, we took about two weeks and we were gone, spent most of the time with family, seeing some beautiful things. I always say it's a successful vacation for me if two things are true, and they both were true this time. Number one, I sent abs or replied to zero work emails. It's a good vacation. Zero work emails were replied to. Number two, I rode my bike every single day. I mean, to me, that's about the two best things in the world. No work emails and riding my bike being outside. So it was a, a great time, um, and it is, uh, it is good to be back home, um, and we're excited to be here. And thank you to Anthony. He's actually in here, so I can look at him tonight. As I said, say Anthony for kicking off our, uh, our series last week as we looked at all that is new for us in Jesus. Didn't he do a great job last week? If you... Uh, Absolutely. If you didn't, if you didn't, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's all about this new creation that we are in Jesus. And I love how he talked about how all of us have a past, but in Jesus, all of us now have a future. And that isn't necessarily determined based on the past that we have. And as this new creation, we are called to reconcile to others because we ourselves have been reconciled to God. Let me pray for us before we jump into our, our sermon for today. God, we do thank you, as we have just sung, that, that you are all that we need, and all that we have is because of what Jesus has done for us. God, and as we open your word, I pray that we would see anew and worship you anew because of all that we have in Jesus. And if there are those who are here worshiping with us this morning who don't yet know you, that they would see the glory of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus and what they're missing out on. So God, would you open our eyes? Would you be present with us now as we open scripture? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my parents often have told me, and they've repeated enough that I believe that I think it's, this is actually true, that two of my first words as a little kid were more meat, more meat. <laughs> Right, which is great. And if you know my family now, this is kind of ironic given that my wife is a vegetarian. But that's fine with me because more meat for myself, right? I don't, I don't have to share any of the meat in my home. I never wonder who ate that steak. It was me who ate it. No one else is going to steal the food, right? And I, I've always enjoyed food. I've always enjoyed eating all sorts of meat. And I, I grew up in a family that my mom was a very good cook. So we ate very well as a kid. But there was a, a, about 10, 10 or so years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, where I realized how good meats could actually be. I went to my, my family was in town. My parents were visiting us when we lived in Chicago. We went to one of those fancy Chicago steakhouses. You know, the kind where like just the piece of meat costs more than like what dinner would normally cost for your entire family, right? But it was a nice occasion and, and we were out to eat there. And I remember looking at the menu and I'm like, holy smokes, this is expensive. My dad looks at me and goes, hey, I'm going to order the filet and I challenge you to do the same. I'm like, well, challenge accepted, <laughs> right? Like you don't have to tell me twice. Okay. And so because when you're paying that much for a piece of meat, you get it rare, as you should, because it's supposed to be cooked that way by the, the chef. And then they brought it to me. 
when you cut this piece of meat and your knife just slices right through it and you put it in your mouth and they ask you, do you want steak sauce? And I'm like, steak sauce would ruin this piece of meat. Are you kidding me? Because it was so much better than anything else. I'm like, I thought I'd eaten steak before, but I'm like, this, this is what steak should taste like. This is what it should taste like. It was so far superior to anything else that I'd ever had before. And today as we are in the second week of this series of of new and looking at what Jesus offers us, we're going to look at the new covenant, the new covenant that we can have with God, with Jesus. And our big idea for today is this, is that what we have in Jesus is far superior to what came before. We may have had a little bit of a taste or, or may have had something before, but when Jesus shows up, it is so far superior to anything else that will pale in comparison to the greatness of Jesus and the life that is offered in following after him. So our focus today is going to be on the new covenants. A covenant is a binding relationship, a binding promise relationship between two people. And covenants are one of the main themes that actually run throughout all the Bible. In fact, some scholars argue that covenant is the primary motif of all of Scripture. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And some of the the main storylines in Scripture are within those in which God has made covenants. If you think of some of the main covenants of Scripture, God made a covenant with Noah after the flood that he would never again flood the earth. God made a covenant with Abraham, that he would make his name great, that he would bless him, that he would give him land and seed and offspring. God made a promise, a covenant with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. God gave them the Ten Commandments, the the restrictions and the rules of how to follow him. God made a covenant with King David, that from his family would come one who would reign forever. And finally, we have in the New Testament, a new covenant that Jesus gives. And Jesus offers this new covenant, this new relationship with God to each and to every one of us. And so our text for today, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them. We're going to be primarily in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be in a few other chapters right around there. Because really, Hebrews chapter 7 through 10, this idea of the new covenant is kind of the big idea. And I figured preaching four chapters is probably too much. I don't want to come back from vacation and preach for four hours. So, you know, we'll just focus in on, on chapter 8. And in the book of Hebrews, actually, the, the idea of the new covenant, this word covenant, occurs more in the book of Hebrews than in the rest of the New Testament combined. And just in these few chapters, we see it occurring over and over again. And so Hebrews chapter 8, we'll jump in starting at verse 6. It says this, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So we need to to realize as we jump in here that this new covenant that that we can have, this new relationship that we can have with God is only possible and is only brought to us through Jesus. It says here that Jesus is the mediator. He mediates this new covenant 
that is able to be possible, meaning that he is the one who establishes it. He is the go-between that brings upon the new covenant. But not only does Jesus mediate the new covenant, it said in a few verses right before this that he is the guarantor of the new covenant. In chapter 7, verse 22, it says this, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This idea is a legal term, of someone guaranteeing something. And and the idea is this, is that someone who's the guarantor assumes responsibility for something if the other person could not pay for it. It's basically in our our line of thinking, like if you co-sign a loan for someone else, what happens if they can't pay it? Now you are legally obligated to pay for it. So get this, Jesus in the new covenant, both is the one who mediates, who brings us the new covenant, and he guarantees on his name that the results will come to pass from it. He brings it and he guarantees its effect himself. And it says here that this new covenant there in verse six is enacted on better promises, on better promises than we have versus the old covenant, primarily here thinking about the covenant made with Israel. And we're going to go into that in these next few verses, and we're going to see three reasons that the new covenant is indeed better. Three reasons the new covenant is better. Verse eight, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The first reason the new covenant is better is that it gives true transformation. The new covenant is better than the old because it gives us true transformation. This quote here in verses 8 through 12 is the quote for, is from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, it's actually the longest Old Testament quote that we have contained in the New Testament. And it's looking forward to these promises that were made that would be enacted in Jesus that are now true, because we are on this side of history that Jesus has brought these promises and they are available to us. And he says here that one of these revolutionary differences, why this covenant, the new covenant is so much better in verse 10, that he will put laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That phrase means a lot more than just like committing something to memory or memorizing what the Bible says or memorizing different verses. That's certainly good, but to know the law To truly know it was not just to be able to memorize it, but to know the law was to be able to obey it from the heart. Knowing something meant that you could follow it, that you could obey it from your heart. And this was always the purpose of covenants, is that the response of people in a covenant to God would follow in obedience. And when God made a covenant with Israel... In the book of Exodus, he called on them to obey, obey the covenant that I will make with you. And it says in Exodus 24, that the people gladly said, we will obey it. We will obey everything that you've laid out for us. And then they went ahead and failed spectacularly over and over and over again. 
And if you've read your Old Testament, basically from the book of Exodus through the end, you'll be like, man, these people keep failing over and over again. God makes a covenant and the people don't obey it from their heart. They keep breaking the covenant relationship with God. And so how are we to keep from failing over and over again? What's different about this new covenant where we won't just keep failing versus in the old covenant where they continue to fail over and over again? Well, the difference is this, is that in the old covenant, God gave these laws and restrictions, but in the new covenant, he writes them on our heart. He doesn't just give us a new set of things to live by, but he transforms us from the inside out so that we can now follow after him. He gives us a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 to 20, put it this way, looking forward to the new covenant. And I will give them a new heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. See, God calls on us to obey these rules, obey his law that he has given to us. He doesn't just call us to do it, then he gives us a new heart, which then enables us to do what God has called us to do. Have you ever in your life been in a situation where you felt like you were just set up to fail by someone else? Like what you didn't maybe not realize it at the time, but looking back, you're like, man, there was nothing I could have done. I was not going to do what I thought I should have done. The odds were so stacked against me. It didn't matter what I had done in that situation. I remember for me, I was in school many years ago and I was in a modular class and the class ended on a Friday and our final was to be an online final. And he had a certain number of days that the final was open online to take it. Well, I emailed my professor in advance and I said, hey, literally from the class on Friday, I am leaving from the class to go to the airport where I am going on a missions trip. Can I have an extension on the final? And he said, yes, that should be fine. All right, so I go on the missions trip. I come back. The next day, I take the final. I think all is good. And then the grades come out and I have a 20% reduction on my final because I didn't complete it in time. And I emailed the professor. He doesn't reply. Email the TA. And she's like, well, you said he would extend it. He didn't say if you would take credit off or not. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Right? I, I, I felt like I was set up to fail. Like I thought one thing was true, but it was really like, mm, nope, you were going to fail one way or the other. And maybe you've been in situations like that in your life where you just feel like you were set up to fail. How does that make you feel? It just makes you angry. Right? It makes you so frustrated that someone would call you to do something and set it up so that it's not possible to do what you've been asked to do. The good news is, is in the new covenant with God, Jesus does not do this. Jesus does not call on you to live a certain way, to obey him, to do the things that he's called you to do, and then sit back and be like, good luck. No chance at all. You could actually ever do that. Well, here we go. He's going to fail spectacular. Let's all sit back and enjoy the ride. No. Jesus calls us to obedience. He calls us to follow him. And then he gives us a new heart and enables us to actually do the very thing that he's called us to do. That he enables us through the inner transformation of our spirit to follow him in obedience. Jesus doesn't call us to be something we aren't but to live into what we already are in him when he changes us from the inside. See, what we need 
in life. What we need in our walk with Jesus is not simply more effort. What we need is radical transformation that only Jesus can bring. See, some of us have grown up in certain circles. And myself, I think at times, not, not extensively, but at times I've kind of grown up and we've, we've thought that maybe if you could summarize the message of Christianity, it would be in two words. And maybe this is true for some of you this morning. The two, message, the two words message of Christianity is this, try harder. Try harder. Because for some of us, Christianity was seen as this long list of do's and don'ts. Right? There were these, all these rules that Christians do this, non-Christians do this. So try harder to make sure you do all the things that Christians are supposed to do. And it became this legalistic effort to make sure that we were just continually doing all of these things to make sure that we looked the right way. A religion, a relationship with Jesus based on rules is not the way of Jesus. His following him is not just legalistically following all these particular things in life. See, if you were to summarize the message of Christianity in two words, it's not try harder, but trust Jesus. That's the essence of Christianity. Not just try harder. Now, there is, of course, effort on our behalf needed, but it's trust Jesus because we are dead in our sin. We need to become a new creation, as Anthony talked about last week. We do not just simply need more effort. We need Jesus to change us from the inside out. But when we meet Jesus, don't forget this, he actually does it. And when God calls on you to obey him, he has given you the ability to do it because he has transformed you from the inside out and given you his spirit to walk in obedience to him. And so we have experienced the reason the new covenant is so much better is it doesn't just give us different rules, doesn't just give us different things to live by, but it transforms us from the inside out out. Verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. The second reason that the new covenant is so much better is it gives us a personal relationship. It gives us a personal relationship with God. God says that they all shall know me. Get that from the least of them to the greatest, that they all will know me. Now, in saying that they shall not teach each one his neighbor, he's not saying here that like teaching in the new covenant is wrong or discipleship is wrong. That's not what he's saying, but it's against this tiered system where certain people have particular access to God and they have to teach others what it was like. He's against a tiered system, but that in in the new covenant, all, from the least to the greatest can know him. doesn't matter if this is your first time at church or you haven't missed church in 50 years. doesn't matter if you've given everything of your life to Jesus or if this is your first time hearing about him. doesn't matter if you tithe or you've never given a dollar away to anybody for anything. The message of Jesus is open to every single person. It's available. A relationship with God is available to all. See, all of us can have a relationship with Jesus. And and the book of Hebrews goes on and talks about why this is so important. Why this is so important. See, in contrasting the new and the old, one of the primary figures in the old covenant, in this old system in Israel, was the priesthood. The priest, and especially the high priest. 
See, it was the priest who went and it was the priest's job to represent the people to God. And so if you needed something from God, you went to the priest and it was the priest who then brought your requests to God. And the priest played this role in between in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, we don't have to go to a priest anymore because according to the book of Hebrews, we're gonna look at this, Jesus is now our priest. And if we need something from God, who do we go to? We go to Jesus. And he is now the one who goes to God for us. He is a better priest that we have in the new covenant. In chapter seven, verse 23 to 25, it says this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, speaking of Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, in the old system, there were the priests and there was the high priest. And what would happen to the high priest? He would get old and he would die. And they would have a new one. And that new high priest would get old and die. And the system would go over and over and over again, where there was always a new priesthood, always new high priest. And then comes Jesus, who remains forever. He is permanent in his role. It's not as if one day you'll need something else to get to God. No, Jesus and Jesus alone is what we will always need to have a relationship with God, that he is now our high priest. Talking about why this is so important, verse 25 there, I love that it gives us these two benefits of having this relationship with God because Jesus is our priest. It says this, that he can, he is always able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. I love that, that he can save to the uttermost. It's kind of a unique expression picking up on two concepts. First, that Jesus saves us completely. There is no spiritual need. There is nothing in your life that you will need that Jesus will not fulfill you with. Salvation is not like lacking in something else, but Jesus saves us to the uttermost. And also has this temporal timeline that he saves us eternally. That what, do we need something else tomorrow or next year or in the future or when we die? No, all we still need at that point is Jesus. That he saves us to the uttermost. That nothing else besides Jesus is needed for a personal relationship with God. That Jesus alone is enough for salvation. See, if anyone says to you, that you need to add something else to your life, add something else to your religion besides Jesus. Maybe you need to make sure you go to church enough, do enough good works, give enough money away. If anyone tries to say you need to add something else to Jesus, don't walk but run away from that. That has nothing to do with true Christianity. Jesus alone saves us. But get this, it says then that he himself always lives to make intercession for them. That he lives to make intercession for them. Sometimes when, I, uh, when you interact with kids, and lots of you in here are volunteers in our kids' ministry, and you know this firsthand. When you interact with kids, sometimes they ask questions about the Bible, and you're like, you know what? Adults should ask that question too. But kids just have this unique worldview, right? And a question that I, that I thought to myself that we should ask ourselves, is this sounds something like a third grader would ask is this, hey, what is Jesus doing right now? 
Doesn't that sound like a question a third grader would ask? And if you're in that classroom and you're an adult, you're like, uh, good question. Uh, anyone got any ideas, right? Like, what, what is Jesus doing right this very moment? That's a very good question. What is Jesus doing this very moment? Is he is interceding on our behalf to the Father. Right now. This very moment in history, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. To intercede means to approach on behalf of someone else. And so as our high priest, anything we need, when we go to Jesus, he's right there with the Father and intercedes for us. See, in Romans 8, Paul talks about this as well. He said, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. See, sometimes we, we maybe forget this, right? Because we don't see Jesus in the flesh. We don't see him seated next to the Father. And it can be easy to, to perhaps forget this. I think this is a reminder for those of us who, who follow Jesus is Jesus, he, he cares for us. He really does care for each and every one of us. And I love it that it says that that Jesus lives to intercede for us. It's not as when you need something and you pray that Jesus is like, I was watching the football game, but I guess now I'll go talk to God for you because you started to pray. No, he wants to hear from us. He lives to intercede on our behalf to God the Father. A personal relationship with God, access to God the Father is found through Jesus Christ, and he lives to intercede for us. So what do you need from God today? Whatever we need as children of God, we can call out to Jesus, and he lives to intercede for us, that he will bring our requests, our petitions made known to God, that we have access to God because Jesus is the one who makes the way. Verse 12, the third reason that this new covenant is so much better than the old. It says this, verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The third reason that the new covenant is so much better is it provides total forgiveness. The new covenant provides total forgiveness of sin. This idea of, of being merciful is God's turning away of wrath from something guilty because they have been forgiven. Now, how? How can this new covenant provide this state of permanent forgiveness? How can it do that? Because if you know the old system, the old covenant, sacrifices were made all the time. Different sacrifices. Sacrifices were continually being made. But in the new covenant, it's not a sacrifice that needs to keep being made because Jesus is now our sacrifice. That Jesus is a better sacrifice than was in the old, and he offers, because of his sacrifice, permanent forgiveness of sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 14, it says this, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never truly take away sins, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
there's a contrast here between the offerings, the sacrifices that the priests would make and the sacrifice that Jesus makes. See, the priests had to do them daily, had to do them repeatedly, over and over again. Jesus, it says, offers for all time one, a single sacrifice when he offered his life. This idea is even picked up in some of the imagery. It says a, pre, a priest stands at the altar, meaning standing, his work is continuing and it's ongoing as he's standing there and doing it. Jesus, after his sacrifice, what does he do? He sits down at the right hand of the Father. You sit down because the work is complete. There is nothing more that needs to be done. See, in the Old Testament system, a priest would enter, the high priest would enter the most holy place of the tabernacle where God himself dwelt. They would only enter it once a year to ask for forgiveness of sin. Only enter it one time a year into the presence of God. Jesus makes the sacrifice, enters into the most holy place, the presence of God, and stays there permanently. He sits there right now. See, nothing more needs to be done besides the sacrifice of Jesus for our salvation. That he himself, when he offered his life on the cross as our substitute, took the place of our sins, nothing more needs to be done for our salvation. The new covenant offers total forgiveness of sins because of Jesus's sacrifice. And it's a far better sacrifice than what was before. Have you ever felt the freedom in your own life of paying off a large debt? Maybe you had a car, and when you finally made that last car payment, you get back in your car, and it's, it's yours now. You have the title. It's not the bank's car anymore. It's actually your car. Or you had student loans, and you finally paid off your student loans and got that weight off your shoulders. Or maybe you paid off your house, and this house truly now belongs to you, not to the bank who actually owns it, and you just pay them to live there. And you own a little chunk of it, but they own most of it. It's actually yours. That, that freedom that comes from knowing that it is now truly mine, that debt has been paid off. The freedom, the release that comes from it. See, each of us were in debt because of our sin. We were in debt because of the sin in our lives, but we couldn't pay it ourselves. No amount of effort, no amount of work, nothing we could do could pay off that debt. But Jesus comes along and through his single sacrifice of his life, pays off the debt for each and every one of our sin when we believe in him. If we're followers of Jesus, if you believe that to be true in your life, there should be such freedom, such confidence in your life because nothing can condemn us any longer. The single sacrifice has been made. You say, well, what about the sins in the future? Because we are new creation. We are in this new covenant, but all of us still sin. We will sin today. We will sin this week. We will sin next. What about those sins? It said there that by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those being sanctified. That Jesus' sacrifice covers not only the sins of our past, but the sins that we will still commit one day. And so we don't have to live in fear of being condemned of our sin any longer. That it's not as if if we make a mistake, we need to look over our shoulder and say, oh no, was that one too many? Does Jesus now pull it back? No, we can walk in confidence in this new covenant because in Jesus, we have a complete and a total freedom because his sacrifice for sin is once and for all. And it is complete and total forgiveness of everything that we've done and everything that we will do. 
And if you don't believe in Jesus, this is the offer that he has for us. That in this new covenant, this debt that we couldn't pay, he pays it for us. And we can have this relationship with God simply by believing in faith that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do. When he died on the cross, when he sacrificed his life, took our place that we deserve to pay for our sin, that we too can have this relationship with Jesus. See, what we have in Jesus is far superior to what was before. I love verse 13. Let's look at it as we close. It says this, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He doesn't say that the old covenant was wrong. It's not that it was bad, but that something so much better has come than it kind of becomes irrelevant. Why would you go back to that when you could have Jesus? See, there are certain things in our lives, and these are all just from my life that I remember that, that I used to be a regular part of my life that are now obsolete because something so much better has come. Remember when you used to buy a computer and if you wanted to install any programs, you had to get any of these? If you're under 20, just ask your parents when you get home what the world that is. It's called a floppy disk. They came in different sizes depending on how old you were and how new your computer was. Right? Why don't we get floppy disks anymore? Because something far superior has come and we don't have to do it that way anymore. Or if you were to go out on a trip, I remember in high school when you go camping with your friends, you always made sure to stop at the store and get one of these before you left. Because what would you do without that disposable camera to capture all of those great memories with friends? And then because it was gonna be a long bus ride to the camp, you made sure to grab one of these and bring it with you on the way the Walkman, so you could listen to music. And if you were like me, you brought a pillow on the bus, not so you could sleep, but to put your Walkman on so it wouldn't skip, right? Because the anti-skip stuff, it never worked. It always still skipped, right? Why don't we have those anymore? Because they've become obsolete. Because something so much better has come that you wouldn't go buy a disposable camera, you wouldn't buy a Walkman. Something so much better is now here. When we think that we can try and earn our salvation, when we fall into legalism, into works righteousness, it's obsolete. Why would we try when something so much better has come? Jesus is so far superior to the old that this new life, this new creation, this new covenant is found in him. See, this new covenant is so much better because it transforms us from the inside out. It enables us to actually follow after God. Through Jesus, it gives us a personal relationship with God. All of us, doesn't matter our background, any one of us can have this. And then it gives us this total forgiveness of sin, where whatever we've done has been cleansed by Christ's sacrifice for us. The new covenant is so much better than the old. In one word, why? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. God, we do thank you for what Jesus has done. The life, the freedom that we can experience. God, and I pray for those of us who are believers this morning that we would truly experience that freedom that is found in the forgiveness of sin. 
And we worship you because we're not worthy. It's nothing because of what we've done, but it's simply because of your love and your grace in our lives. And so we worship you today. God, if there's anyone here this morning who is not in a relationship with you, God, even in this moment, would they cry out to you? Would they recognize your sacrifice for sin that we could never do and have forgiveness of sins, have a relationship with you even today? We thank you for this new covenant that we find ourselves in because of what Jesus has done for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.